Thank you. Man, this has been a good service so far. Man, I just love hearing. Thank you, Cinco. Thank you for that. It's a good day to be here. Let's begin in prayer. I want to get right to it. I think there's some things to say today, and God has some things to, to, to say to us. So let's, let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful service so far. Thank you for he- letting us hear the hearts of our, of our people, Lord, from Ben to, to Phil to Cinco. Lord, to our people singing with everything they have, thank you. Lord, help us to hear this morning, wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. And we're going to be a little bit in Luke 19 in just a moment, too, as well. But we're in a series about Abba, our Father. And we continue today. And I... I just wanted to start by just letting you know a little bit more about Israel at a time that was crucial. This is a crucial time in Jeremiah's term. Israel, um, how do I say it? Things had gotten bad. Now, they didn't know it because things seemed pretty good for them. They were pretty successful, financially stable. Um, now, the kings, they kind of come and go. They just had a great king, Josiah, but his son didn't do very well. The next king, they didn't do very well. And what happened was the kings started to forget God. Josiah was one who brought about lots of reform, but the kings forgot God. And when your leaders forget God, people start to forget God. But see, here's the problem. These are the people of God. They had one job. To be faithful. They're the people of God. And if they forget God, then what's next? But that's what happened. They began to lose interest, you know, but God is good. He's gracious. He's He is steadfast. He's faithful. He's merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in what is it? And it's what is this thing right before that? steadfast love. Do you remember the Hebrew word? Chesed. There you go. He's abounding in that. He gave them grace, undeserved attention. He took this small group of people who were relatively unknown and gave them global status. Made them a superpower. But they didn't return the thank, uh, to re- return with thankfulness. Then instead, instead of thankfulness, they became arrogant. Instead of humility, they chose pride. They started using God when it suited them. And their love for God turned to everywhere and anything else. And whenever they began to see themselves as better, they started breaking themselves. They started breaking their promises to God. You know, when you get to that point when you don't feel like you really need God anymore, that kind of puts you in the center of the universe. So they followed the God that suited them, and they started seeing themselves as the center of the universe. And whenever they started seeing themselves as the center, the center of the universe spoke up. But here's the question I want to ask as we begin. What is it like whenever somebody breaks their promise? 
What is it like when you try to get someone's attention to let them know you're hurting me whenever you try to get them to just pay attention, to hear your side of it, only for them to reject you, to dismiss you, to ignore you. I mean, many of you have experienced this type of loneliness and this type of promise breaking. Many of you have probably broken these types of promises. For some, the pain has been so great that it seems there's nothing and no one who can help, much less understand. But here in this moment in history, God is experiencing the same kind of grief. He's experiencing the same kind of rejection. And His reaction, it's not wrath. You know what His reaction is? Pain. Raw emotion. Suffering. Hurt. So listen, as God speaks to His people through Jeremiah, I'm going to be reading from the NRSV version. God speaks through, 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 through Jeremiah. Uh, chapter 8, verse 4, He says this, Thus says the Lord, when people fall, do they not get up again? If they go astray, do they not turn back? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They've held fast to deceit. They've refused to return. I have given heed and listened, but they do not speak honestly. No one repents of their wickedness saying, what have I done? All of them turn to their own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. Wow. Now he goes on for that whole thing to, to kind of describe exactly to them what they have become. And in verse 18, we see the depths of God's hurt and anguish. 18 says this. He says, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The people, again, people say, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And God returns, He says, for the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored Hear this, oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. These are not the words of a distant Creator. This is pain that suffered from someone close to you. I like reading the Old Testament. I like the drama. I like the intrigue. I love the stories. I love the narrow escapes. But this part has always bothered me. You know, I read Kings and Chronicles, and I read Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is like this slow-moving train wreck. You can see it coming. And there's nothing you can do about it. I'm like, no, no, don't. Trust God. Just trust Him. You know, Listen to the prophets. They're giving you chance after chance. 
What's funny is they predict time and time again what's going to happen, and they're right. But even still, there's a moment when, or even still, they, they d- disagree. They, they just don't listen. The, there's a moment in Jeremiah when he's talking face-to-face with the king. Uh, he's been in prison, and the king brings Jeremiah to him, and, and the king says, hey, Jeremiah, I know you've been in prison, but have you heard anything from God? <laughs> and so Jeremiah says, and as a matter of fact, I have. Uh, and by the way, you need to surrender right now to Babylon. Surrender, and everything's going to go good for you. Just surrender and trust. And, and, he's, and everything he says is just, just surrender and everything's going to be okay. And you know what the king says? Eh, no, I'm good. The train's wreck's coming. <laughs> You're like, no, just listen. Because if you really think about it, you can see what life is going to be like for these people whenever they finally get what they're wanting. Because you know what it is they're wanting. They're wanting independence from God. I mean, God loves these people so much that through His deepest pain and grief, even through their rejection, you know what? He's going to give them what they want. He's going to give them independence from Him because He loves them so much. In this time... You know, Israel's actions are not just careless. They're not just youthful rebellion. It's a willful desire to break away. It's not just curiosity. It's what they are wanting for their identity. But God loves them. He has for centuries. He still does. They have history. He's plucked them from the jaws of death I don't know how many times. And like Adam, He created something out of nothing with these people. He gave them a future and a hope. But it wasn't enough. They wanted more. But they got less. And in their search for everything but God, they got everything but good. It's still the same. God had hopes and dreams for these people and gifts for them. But when they chose to walk away, He suffered. He poured out His life to them. Everything to them. And it still wasn't enough. And He wept. I think it's important to remind ourselves of something here. Israel rejected God and they began to walk away. For centuries, God continued to try to get their attention, to try to get them to turn around, to try to get them to repent, and to try to get them to walk toward Him again. I mean, why? Because He loved them. But here's the danger in walking away from God is that when you walk away from God, you begin to walk toward death you walk away from life your destination is death and not only that things in you and things around you begin to die as well god saw the crash coming these people their memory was dying their faith was dying their compassion was dying their empathy was dying they had forgotten god and began to run after everything and anything that moved listen as god reminds them of their infidelity he's telling them this is what you've done in chapter 7 one chapter back 
Verse 9, he says, Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are safe only to go on doing all these abominations? Really? That really was my own addition. <laughs> God has promised to love. He's promised to honor. He's promised to lift these people up. But they don't really care anymore about their vows because they really don't care about their vows either. Their morality, their compassion, their mercy was dead or lay dying. Now hear God trying to tell these people again how close to death they have come. Jeremiah 6, one more verse Chapter past, he says, There is nothing but oppression in her, speaking of Israel. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. And then one chapter ahead in seven again. I'm I'm making a switch. That's okay. Um, Just get your fingers ready. He pleads with them again and he offers them another chance. Seven, uh, five through seven. For if you truly amend your ways in your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Please come back, he says. But they didn't. In fact, they made it worse. Chapter 34, you can read this later. It talks about this, this process. God said, hey, uh, it's the end of seven years. If someone has sold themselves into slavery to you, if it's a Hebrew who sold himself into slavery, you have to let him go after seven years. And that was a kind of a common practice. They needed to pay off a debt or they needed to make something right. So, so I would sell myself into slavery to a family to make it right. And what happened is they did this big ceremony at the very end of seven years and to have this big releasing of the prisoners and, and uh, of these slaves. And then they took them back by force. God said, that's it. Because remember Psalm 68 from last week? God's heart is with who? The poor, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the desolate. Yet God's people were walking towards death. And God's people, when they're walking towards death, not only does everybody, I mean, everything start to die around them, but you know what happens? When you're walking towards death, you become deadly. She didn't care about anything but herself. She wasn't going to care for the poor. She was ignoring them. And she wasn't just ignoring the poor, the widow, and the orphan. She was killing them. Taking them as prisoner, leading them to death without thought, without remorse. I mean, Israel's memory, her morality, everything, her beauty was dying. I mean, how painful for God to see this happen. You know the tears that come from frustration and sadness? They may be a little different than the, than the tears that come from pain and anger. But I think sometimes they all come together in waves. 
And the result is still anguish, it's still pain, it's still suffering through tears. And I want you to know this. If you know this type of pain, anguish, and suffering, so does God. He knows it because He suffered with it as well. He pleaded with His bride, with His children to come back. Please come back. But they didn't. And the consequence of their choice was death. But God's love was steadfast and a remnant was saved. He gave them another chance. Even through tears and pain and suffering, He showed them grace, mercy, and chesed, steadfast love. In the Old Testament, God was close, and it was about the Word of God spoken to His people. It was about the Word spoken through His prophet, the Torah. The Torah is the Word. It was about the words of love to His people. Shelley's teaching her class about characters and and how to know a character through, through a story. And you know how um, they are and what they say by their, by their words. And you know about them through their actions. And I think in the Old Testament we know about God through His words and through the word that He spoke through His people. And, and what we have in the New Testament is something a little bit closer even. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's as if God says, I know I've been hurt with you. I know I've been hurt by you. But let me get closer. And maybe, just maybe, I can make this whole thing right. Two times we see Jesus weep. The first time is alongside of His friends, Mary, Martha, at the death of his really good friend, Lazarus. There was a moment when just two words echo still throughout eternity. Jesus wept. Death had won, it seemed. The grief in losing a loved one, it's overwhelming for Jesus. And the tears, it flowed from the Creator of the world. And the resulted echo was even louder. Because Jesus calls out to His dead friend. Just like He called out to Israel. Come back! Just come back! He calls out to Lazarus. And Lazarus responds. It's like He can't help it. He comes back to life. There's new life when Jesus calls you. I wonder if Lazarus had a choice. But if the choice is death and life, why would you choose death? When I was in Israel many years ago, uh, we, were, we were heading up to Jerusalem. And I was in, we were in the tour bus. And um, our bus driver started singing a song. He's singing it in, I, I think it might have been Arabic. But he's singing and it was slow and a little bit dark. And I was asking our guide, hey, what's he singing? And he says, well, it's a dirge. It's a song of mourning over Israel. He says he sings this every time we come around this corner. It was the words that Jesus spoke as he walked towards Jerusalem. Hear the story from Luke 19. It's in Luke 19, starting in verse 41. Jesus had just been through the triumphal entry, this moment. He, 
uh, palm branches and people are exciting and he sees the city and as he came near and saw the city he wept over it saying if you even you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace but now they're hidden from your eyes Indeed, the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation with God. I mean, Jesus was God in the flesh, and here we see what God loves and what He cares about. And in the last week of His life, we still see God weeping over His people. They were still stiff-necked. They were still oppressive to the poor. They didn't care very much about the widows, orphan, or the desolate. And Jesus' tears were for a people who were still walking towards death. And it seemed at this point it had been so long, they were completely ignorant of it. They had no clue they were heading off the cliff. Many of them thought they were doing it right. Many of them thought that that it was okay to be oppressive if it suited me. These leaders had run so far from God, they didn't even know how close to death they were. But Jesus knew, and He wept. Uncontrolled, raw, Spirit-filled emotion showed us the depth that Jesus still had for the love of His people. People who were adulterous. People who didn't keep their promises. People who were somehow infatuated with sin and the allure of it. I mean, think about it. When you see Jesus, this is not the emotions of a distant God. And this God, some of us have the idea of, as the God of the Old Testament is distant and far. This is not, the, this is not a distant God here. This is a close. And He's always been close. And He came closer even still through Jesus so that He could defeat death once and for all. He's still calling His people to come back. Still calling them to repent. Still calling them to choose life. And in the garden, we see this moment where Jesus has this, this, one of these final moments of, of pure raw emotion. So much that He's releasing tears of blood. God knows the suffering of His people, the powerlessness over death, the ignorance they have as far as, as how close to death they really are. But He still loves these people. And because of His love, He chose to take our suffering and death upon Himself so that we would not ever have to experience that again. He faced death once and for all to free us from ourselves. He came close. He lived with us. He died for us. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. Now I know many people in this room are going through difficult moments even right now. And your eyes, I know, have been a fountain of tears. I know some even are uncomfortable when the tears break free and and you apologize. And I wanted to say, no. God knows your pain. Weep, and let us weep with you.
But God is preparing for something better. Revelation, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be His peoples and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away and the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. So for those of you who are wandering, those of you who are slowly choosing death instead of life, decision after decision after harmless decision, I want to tell you, stop. Turn around. Listen to God. Listen to me. Listen to your parents. Listen to your friends who love God because He's trying to get your attention. If you keep going that way, you're going to die. And not only will you die, your compassion will die, your morality will die, your promises will die, your empathy will die, you will be filled with death and you will become deadly. But I want to tell you, you can turn around. God is pleading for you to return. At least stop today and take a moment and respond. Because God has given you a lot of opportunity and He will continue to do so. That's my plea. That's my encouragement. And if you are one of those who is seeing people about to crash, I want to say continue to plead with them. Be there for them. Weep with them. Walk with them. And help them see life. Take a moment today to consider. Consider God for everything He's done, for everything He's going to do. Because God is good. So if anything right now, let's just stand together. Go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a song, and wherever you are, take a moment to bless the name of God for what He's done, for what He's given us. And let's bless His name together as we stand and sing. Let's sing together. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face to you and give you peace.